Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hagan. I'm working at- an Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on the Chuck and Julie Show. And good afternoon, everybody. Chuck and Julie, the Chuck and Julie Grassroots Show. Chuck. straight up. <laughs> Chuck. Coming in at the last minute, having attended some very important things, things, things that he things, had to yes. do. It's a Chuck and Julie show, Truth Straight Up, uh, brought to you by Mountain West Wellness, Advanced Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine, and HappyTrees.co. Um, we've got a guest with us. We're going to start off with him. I'm going to let you know about 340, Mark Poff is going to come on. And obviously, we're going to weigh in on that crazy uh, I don't even know. Yeah, Tim Hernandez, the uh, Colorado Democrat, openly Marxist representative who um, supports Hamas um, and, and the attack on Israel, um, and apparently told the Democrat leadership in Colorado to kind of uh, stick it. Stick it. Yeah, to stick it. So we'll be talking about that. But why don't we start off with Bruce Thornton? He is a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, uh, um, a professor at Cal State University, uh, frequent contributor to Front Page Magazine, which is where I read his latest column, and author of 10 books. So, hey, Bruce, thank Thanks you. Thanks for joining us. You bet. Thank you. But I should uh, tell you that I am retired now completely. Oh, okay. 2021. So. Oh, yeah, well. I've been liberated. Liberated, yeah. Uh, Caltech, <laughs> right. <laughs> so now you have more time. Well, tell us about your article and, and why, why you but tried Trump to write magazine, it. Yeah. Is this the Trump derangement syndrome? Yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, well, I, since the beginning in 2016, I've been fascinated by uh, not, you know, Democrats on the left. Of course, they're going to hate Donald Trump. He's successful. He's a businessman. And he, he doesn't put up with them. But I was really fascinated by the Republicans and some conservatives. And, and those are not synonyms, of course. Right. <laughs> um, um, and what it wasn't that there was criticism. You know, we expect that. And, and we owe our, to ourselves to do that. It was the unhinged vehemence of it yeah. that was fascinating and so i've you know since that time i've I've written several um several articles on this phenomenon um now you know some of it is um careerism and opportunism particularly in the foreign policy and national security areas there tends to be more bipartisanship appointments, you know, because we're all supposed to pretend like there's no party when it comes to security. Um, and so I can understand that uh, people who foresaw a Hillary Clinton victory uh, were shocked and, you know, disappointed that Trump actually won, as many people were. But that alone doesn't doesn't cover it. There's something that I think goes deeper into the nature of our political system and 
the failure of many people to understand the um, you know why did the why did the founders create the sort of structure that they did in the Constitution? And one important dimension of this doesn't get talked about enough to me is they understood that the 13 colonies and the future states were incredibly diverse. Now, we have been, you know, uh, convinced, and by we, I don't mean us, that know better, um, that diversity is all about ethnicity or the pseudo-concept of race. Okay, so diversity is about black, white, Asian, you know, Hispanic, a completely meaningless term. Um, and that's it. But the diversity among the first settlers to this country, going back to the 17th century, and to the colonies that arose out of it was was incredible. It was incredible. Um, you had, of course, no longer important to us because we've gotten rid of God and religion and all that, you know, being accountable and stuff. And the religious denominations, of course, the yeah. difference, you, you know, you had pilgrims, you had Quakers, you had Presbyterians, um, several different Catholics in Maryland. You had several different uh, religious uh, denominations. And the that generation, 18th century, they still had a memory of the hundreds of thousands of people who died in the wars of religion after the rise of uh, Protestantism. And that was on everybody's mind. You know, we didn't want to go back to that. Uh, so there was that diversity. There was, even in from Great Britain, you have all these these people coming from Great Britain, you say, oh, God, they're all white people. Right. But in terms of various regional distinctions on top of, let's say, religious distinctions, um, were real. And David Hackett Fisher, in his book, Albion Seed, has identified four different folkways, he calls them, that came from England to the United States. Now, these won't sound to us moderns, these won't, these won't sound, you know, like a big deal, but they were a very big deal back in the day because religion was a very big deal and was taken seriously. Um, and it involved dialects of English, you know, um, uh, ethnicity like uh, the Scots-Irish. Okay. They were the Scotsmen that Queen Elizabeth recruited and settled in Northern Ireland because the rest of Ireland was Catholic. And England's two big enemies were Catholic Spain and Catholic France. Um, you had other borderlanders up north in Northumberland, also on the border of Scotland. Um, and a lot of these uh, migrated a lot for religious reasons, because the Church of England was turned into a state church. And if you didn't belong to it, then any kind of public you know, advancement was closed off for you. So that was, that was another. You had the obvious, obvious distinction created by slavery. 
yeah. states that allowed slavery and states that didn't. So the point is the founders are looking at all this diversity and they know that if everybody is going to be free, you have to have a mechanism in place that won't allow any one or a small number of states to amass enough power to dominate everybody else. And that accounts for a lot of the mechanisms we have. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's that got to do with the Trump phenomenon? <laughs> Trump derangement syndrome. <laughs> well, here I will tell you. Um, ah. That's why you have me here. Um, <laughs> Go back to ancient Athens, and that, there happened the most epochal development in government, and that is allowing non-elites to participate in the government. Huh. Not aristocrats, not plutocrats, right, alone, um, but anybody who was an Athenian citizen and that meant just having an Athenian father and an Athenian mother who were citizens. Well, they had their own slaves. <laughs> What's that? The Athenians had their own slaves. Of course they did. Everybody did. Of course they did. As any good country would. <laughs> you can't go anywhere back in the, in the, ancient, in the pre-modern world to find a, a people who didn't own slaves. The only ones who didn't were the ones who couldn't enslave other people because yeah. they weren't powerful enough. Um, so even the poor could participate in government. What does that mean? That means going to the assembly. That means voting for magistrates. Um, that means most important, and here now we're getting to the Trump issue, speaking in public before the other citizens. And as we know, and, and, from just our country, poor people or people who are not rich and can afford to be educated often don't sound, talk like other people, like the rich do or the educated do. I know that my father left, left school at the age of 15, and um, if I tried to talk like him on this radio show, they'd probably shut you down. <laughs> so, um, so you had to have freedom of speech. Because otherwise, how could these people participate if right. you allowed the grandees and the cognitive elite and the educated to use their standards of decorum, right, and proper speaking? Well, then that would that would shut out all these other citizens. So they had to tolerate a wide range of speech. Now, when you look at critics of Athenian democracy, like Plato particularly Plato, that's one of their biggest beefs about democracy. It allows people who shouldn't be talking to their betters to talk to their betters, and not just talk to their betters, but to make fun of them, uh -huh. to insult them. Um, and where you really see this is in Greek comedy, and you say, well, wait, that's the theater. No, that was a political institution. Mm -hmm. And the reason why so many Greek comedies have so much sexual insult in them it's not because of the people they're making fun of who would they who, who they they would name by name by the way wow. mm -hmm. they wouldn't have a, just somebody a, a, a fictional character and um 
it, because it was a form of political rhetoric. If they wanted to say this guy's a bad guy, he doesn't have virtue in his service, they'd accuse him of being a homosexual prostitute. Okay. It wasn't Ooh. necessarily because he was, but because they saw that as a huge insult. So this set the standard that you can't, in a polity that allows all citizens to speak, no matter their their education or their wealth or their lineage, you have to let them, you know, have a lot of leeway. Yeah. Okay. So going back, when I, we started hearing all this stuff about Trump's mean tweets, right, about how our, quote, sacred democratic norms or decorum or acting presidential or anything. Well, there's two things. One, go back in American history, and it's not really that different from no. what you, <laughs> you could find from the very beginning. Right. Okay. Um, but second, it was a kind of socioeconomic class snobbery, too. Right. A lot of people who went to college, you know, with advanced degrees, uh, and trust me, I spent a lot of time in college <laughs> as a student and as a professor. So I know where I like to eat. And essentially, you know, they're not bad people, but they tend to think they're better than, you know, the, the average bear, right? Um, and that would be they're better than people who are superstitious and believe in God, you know, yeah. um, or who speak a certain way. Or he use a certain kind of humor, right? Right. Um, and it struck me that, you know what? This is what's going on partly with Trump. He's not one of them. Right. He's an outsider. And what elites do is they gatekeep. And yes. how do you gatekeep? You make up rules. Don't wear white after Labor Day or you can't go into the country club. <laughs> right? Remember that? Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it struck me that what we have in this country, and it goes back all the way to the late 19th century, Woodrow Wilson kicked it off. FDR, of course, made the huge quantum leap. Um, LBJ furthered it. Barack Obama tried to further it, fortunately didn't get too far, um, is to have a technocracy. Not ruled by free citizens, but ruled by experts. Yes. And how do we define experts? Well, they're people who have gone to college. Right. Right. They have advanced degrees in, in subjects that they think are science, like psychology. Right. Well, or fo- that's the whole oh. follow the science and Fauci. Oh, Fauci. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Fauci. Exactly. I'm going to give you some extra credit points for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yes, this will all be in the test. Yeah. Um, so what happened was their class sensibilities were offended and their guild sensibilities, that is the political guild, it's bipartisan, it's, bipartisan. it's all the people involved in politics either directly or as commentators or as working for one of our, you know, enormous uh, federal agencies. And they couldn't tolerate this, this man who's not one of them. 
they couldn't tolerate, they couldn't stand it. Yeah. And so, you know, listen, during the primary in 2016, the Republican primary, you know, everything was okay going after Trump. If Trump wasn't your guy, you're going to go after, you're going to go after him. Right. And that's fine. That's politics. But once, once he was nominated, and this is what really disturbs me, once he was nominated, everybody who was truly conservative and truly constitutional-minded should have seen that Hillary Clinton could not be allowed to become president. And we know, if we've been around long enough to follow politics, we know why that's the case. Um, and so then they should have said, look, I don't like this Trump guy. I don't like his jokes. I don't like his tweet. You know, he's braggadocious, boastful, et cetera, et cetera. But we can't have this person uh, as president because if he had been elected, it's very likely that the debacle of the Biden administration so far would have happened then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and one of the things you mentioned in your column that's great is, I mean, it, it's gone even beyond, like you said, sort of criticism. I mean, you talk about, for instance, the General Milley comments where right. the Wall Street Journal makes it sound, I mean, if you just read their headlines and briefly looked at it, which is what most people do, you think that Trump is advocating killing Milley, right? <laughs> that he's executing him. And then, then yeah. you did a great job of saying, well, here's what he actually said. And they left off the whole middle right. portion that gave the whole thing context. And, you know, I was a reporter, Bruce, for like 40 years, a TV reporter, and it's just appalling to me. But it's, I mean, the reporter knew that they were doing that, that right? And, and, and the editorial yeah, board. I mean, they did that. It wasn't like they missed it or something. I mean, that was a deliberate no, 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 no. decision. Yes. That's exactly right. You're exactly right. It, um, and, and coming from the Wall Street Journal, that, that yeah. that's what also sort of annoyed me because generally, you know, on their, their op-ed page has some terrific people on it. And they didn't, they should have said, well, he did talk to the Chinese. He did violate <laughs> his professional ethics and he violated the chain of command. It's unconstitutional. And it was arguably treasonous. I say right. arguably because, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what right. aid and comfort right. actually means. Okay, so... You know, that's um, that's another point. But notice he said back in the day. Yes. But yeah. they also ignored. Yeah. Back in the day, this would have happened. He's not saying, I want this to happen now. Right. The right? present. Right. Yeah. He was just yeah. saying. It's well, I have to say at one point in time, I would read religiously the Wall Street Journal editorial page uh, because it was incredibly <clears throat> pointed, intelligent, very attacking. He drove the Clintons insane. Um, mm -hmm. But now that they're Murdoch owned, they're like Fox. I mean, who cares what they have to say? I don't check in what they're editorial. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I don't read them as a news source. <laughs> I they, read, yeah. they, they have they have commentators, Walter Russell Mead, um and others. Um, 
Kimberly Strassel, I've, I've learned she's usually just, yeah. you know, on the money. And, and it's given the desert of good commentary out there because most right. of the media is, you know, block, you take what you can get, you know. Right. Um, so that's why I thought, um, uh, for your page, um, you're usually, you're usually a little more savvy than that and right. not quite as reflexive. And, but they, but they too, um, and I pointed it out over and over. They too got in the habit of what I call the Trump preemptive cringe. So you're reading something right, from somebody and it's sometimes they just have to insert some yeah. reference to how awful Trump is, even though it has nothing to do with the exactly. Yes, yeah, you, that happened. You're right. That happens. You know that time. too. Yeah, oh yeah. No, I mean, but you had what the Democrats are blaming Trump for Hamas attacking Israel, right? It's like yeah, I mean, yeah. and then they they go on. They're just going to throw that in there. I mean, no, you're you're right. Well, let me ask you this because this it, this is one of the reasons just your comment was so interesting to me. We were having a conversation with one of our listeners on our last show, and she was pointing out how hard it is these days because of things like the Trump derangement syndrome to know who's telling you the truth, right? That's like, what are they leaving out? What are the pictures not showing? What do you um, make? uh, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, at least for now, is Twitter and some of the stuff that comes out on Twitter. But that's also hard to know. I mean, what I guess my question is, I apologize, I'm kind of rambling, but how dangerous is it, do you think, for us as a society to have the media have gone this way and to be sort of leaving people searching for information kind of on their own, trying to sort through it? Or do you not see it that way? Well, no, that's a great question. But the point is, there was never a time in American history when you had a completely objective, you know, a point of view. In fact, it was understood up until the progressive period, right, that any newspaper had a political point of view. Often it was in their title. Yeah, yeah. There used to be something in the Fresno, the Fresno Republican, the something or other Democrat. And everybody knew. But here's the, here's what's changed. First, there were tons of newspapers. Right. Yeah. In in most cities. And at least two, three, some you had seven or eight. So if you didn't like this paper's point of view politically, then you read the other one. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now in terms of just, um, sort of facts like wrecks and who died in an accident and what ship came in from where and, you know, sort of just data sort of stuff, public record stuff. You know, this bill was passed and this was the vote, et cetera. Okay, they, they did all right with that. But people understood that if you're reading an op-ed piece, and sometimes if you're reading what looks like it's supposed to be a story, it has a perspective. Now, that began to disappear after World War II with, of course, television news. Right. And a lot of these papers went out of business. Um, but then you had another swing of the pendulum, and Rush, Rush Limbaugh on talk radio opened it all up, and the Internet op- turned it all into the wide, wild west of information. Well, so post-war now, uh, 
you can find what's true and the facts. It takes more time than probably most people living their lives, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're out there. It just takes more of an effort uh, and will uh, to find them and not just reflexively say, and, and I'll say this about Fox too, you know, that, that, oh, well, this is my team, so they're okay. But, you know, um, remember what Ronald Reagan said about, a, 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 you know, an arms treaty, but the Russians, trust but verify. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, po- post-World War II, you had a general consensus, and that was um, everybody agreed I don't know how they all agreed, but with Eisenhower, everybody agreed um, that the uh, true, uh, Roosevelt's policies, the New Deal, were good, but that communism mm-hmm. was bad. And everybody, okay, that's so our arena of think communism bad, uh, New Deal good, and then you could you could kind of slant your opinion between those two goalposts. Um, now, you know, a lot of people don't think the New Deal was good, and we have democratic socialists who run in, in Congress and stuff. So it's, there is no kind of agreed upon, um, the division. mindset, yeah. um, that allows people to kind of go, okay, you know, if I'm reading, if you read the Washington Post 50 years ago, you know, it became within those goalposts now, you know, God knows. <laughs> right, but, right. Well, there, there was the, the vital center as uh, on political theorists calls it. And I'm not going to remember his name, but, um, and it was wider than it is now. Um, but it was still, it was still quite diverse, but the creation of what some people are now calling the uniparty, right? You mentioned the approval of the new deal, a lot of the new deal programs. Well, you know, that was a huge step towards a vast federal power right. that said, hey, we'll right. take care of you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll take care of your old age retirement. Now, the Constitution created federalism in order to honor the diversity of the country because you know what? If you don't like one state's old age policy, you don't think it's good enough. You think it's too stingy, or you know whatever. You can go to another state. You can move to another state, as people are doing now. They're going away from yeah, hellholes like California, yeah. um, and that was what was called the democracy, a laboratory of democracy. I mean, Brandeis, Supreme Court Justice, he, he coined that term. Um, you don't like it? You feet vote. Yeah. You can go someplace else. But you can't escape the feds in this country now. Right. right. No. Yeah. No. You cannot escape them. And that follows from the enormous growth of government agencies. And I'll tell you, if you want to think of something that would absolutely horrify the founders, say it's the size of our federal government. Yeah. Oh, and it's scope. Yeah. And it's scope. I mean, go ahead. Um. And I was going to say, Bruce, hey, we've, we've got to let you go. I know because we have another guest. Well, but you said great. Yeah, I know. The whole 
hour and a half with you. Good to have you back for sure. And so, I mean, you don't know, but we've got tons of comments from people loving you here. Where can people, so you're on Front Page Magazine. You've got columns up there regularly. Um, You've got 10 books out. Where can people find out more about you and get your books? Well, you know, I think the, the, my page at the Hoover Institution, I mean, they've, they've got a lot, they've got most stuff there. Okay. Um, that, that archive at, at front page has, has my, um, you know, past, but, but I've been, you know, I've been writing for them for 20 years and I don't know if the old stuff's there, but, <laughs> but the Hoover's pretty good. They, they have, uh, uh, a good, uh, a good archive of, of writing. You just so. look under Bruce Thornton. Bruce Thornton at, at, at the Hoover Institution. Yes. All right. Okay, yes. great. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Yes, we'll have you Appreciate back for well, sure. Thank you Appreciate for your asking time. me. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. Thank you, sir. Um, you know, it's just fascinating. Listen, you like, you know, how things have changed and, and you go back to some of the, you know, the, in, in Athens and things like that. Right. And, and how it's come the other way. It's like, now they're like, you stupid people, you shouldn't be allowed. We're back to like, if you are one of the elites or part of the uniparty or globalist, you shouldn't have a voice well, anymore. Yeah, yeah. But it was a big fight. He said, Plato right. thought it was awful. I mean, he, he thought yeah, yeah. Plato's Republic was an, <laughs> was an oligarchy that you probably hate to live in. Well, and um, speaking of free speech, I want to, we're going to have Mark Poff coming on here in about 10 minutes, but want to talk about, I don't know if you guys have seen the kerfuffle, and that's putting it mildly over, so State Representative Tim Martinez. He was a Denver teacher, which is, as we talk about this, yeah, even more horrifying than he's a self-proclaimed Marxist, right? Um, and he was over the weekend at a pro-Palestinian um, rally. Um, and the, where they were supporting the Hamas attacks and they were criticizing Israel. The, the typical, you've seen that in other places. There was a small one here in Denver. And so he was there, he had the flag and some, uh, one of, I guess a citizen journalist kind of went up and talked to him about it and, and basically said, you know, well, what about all the dead babies and grandmothers with their heads and stuff cut off? And um, he... Uh, let's just say Hernando's incredibly stupid. Um, so we're going to play to you what he said to this citizen journalist. Um, if we could please play the uh, Hernandez video, Thomas. And I think it's despicable what they're protesting for and what you're protesting for. And the fact that you can't condemn women and children and elderly people being murdered in the streets. What about it? Do you condemn it? I already said. Why can't you say yes? Because I already gave you my answer. You didn't give an answer. And every, I think anybody who watches would understand what your actual position is. So what he says is, so do you condemn, you don't condemn, or do you condemn the murder of all these innocent people? And he's like, what, a, what about it, right? Yep. And then and then he makes fun of the guy saying, oh, only three people are going to watch your BS video here right. while you're doing, well, okay, so so far, at least the last time I looked, there were 5 million views of this, right? Dave Williams, thank God for Dave Williams and the uh, new uh, grassroots leadership. They, the Colorado Republican Party has been all over this from the beginning, posting the video, sharing the video, telling people, share it with your friends, make sure everybody sees this Democrat representative from Denver who was appointed to the position, so he wasn't really even elected by anybody, um, and uh, you know, calling on him to resign, saying, you know, you've got somebody like this supporting terrorist Well, but also Dave did really well is point out Jesse Paul and all these other people 
for the Colorado Sun and other ones say, you're not reporting this at all. Why not? Right. They um, would just ignore it. So they all go, oh, no, we were uh, yeah. gathering well, facts. Uh, time, the Republican Party, again, thank you, Dave Williams and, and company, um, put the pressure on calling on Jared Polis, the Democrat leadership. Right. So the Democrats, this is sort of the chronology of their god-awful response so first just the colorado democrats put out a thing saying oh we condemn the violence and we stand with israel right Right. and then everyone was like oh hello even i tweeted representative hernandez did not get this memo apparently what are you going to do about him so like okay well we don't support his statement Hmm. well then it took it even further and apparently the house leadership was forced the democrat leadership Hmm. was forced to put out a statement saying hey we we have been talking to hernandez about this we have asked him to clarify his position. We have asked him to to make it clear that he condemns this kind of activity. And they basically said he told them to go stick it, right? So here's a guy, he's like disappointed. You know, it's like, talk about gutsy, but idiotic. So he's ignoring the Democrat Party. I want to know, where is Jared Polis on this? Where is Phil Weiser? Where is Jenna Griswold? Where are the leaders of the Republican Party? Where's Michael Bennett, right? Well, I mean, Jared Polis Jewish, so you'd think he'd, he'd have some objection to to the beheading of babies and all that in Israel, but I uh, guess not. No, well, not when it comes to another Democrat, particularly a uh, a Marxist Democrat. So it's going to be, you know, I mean, I think it'll blow over. I mean, the media was all forced to cover it, but you know, again, it just shows. I don't know if he's an idiot or if he actually really thinks this. I mean, oh, it was it. It, it was stupid. I think it was stupid he of him. You know, well, it's sort of like, and it's going on in Congress too, right? The squad. I mean, AOC, I guess, finally came out and said, "Okay, fine, I condemn violence against Israel," um, and and that was it. But oh, we got Jacob raising his hand. Hey, Jacob. Hey, Jacob. Hi. Did you? Did you hold on. Did you get my uh, emails about the um, who they're blaming and all this? Um, you mean for the attack? Where they're? Yeah. 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 Um, some of them, what, I mean, the one where they, they were blaming, they're blaming Trump, they're blaming Israel for being. Right, some, right. right. So why, what's, before, before we get to the blame game, did they not find a, a stash of heroin or cocaine in the White House and they couldn't find the person <laughs> who's, who's, I mean, before you start blaming somebody for a big war that's right. going on now, maybe you should check your own house. Exactly. Secondly. Secondly, according to Biden, the, the one thing that's most concerning to the United States now is not terrorism, it's climate change. No, no, they said no. thermonuclear war. They, oh, no, that doesn't matter. No, no. Yeah. And bank fees, Jacob, bank fees. We, he's all over bank fees, too, just so you know. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, but as, as far as, as using the CIA and the FBI, we have to change, you know, the chi- the climate change is the big deal, right. so... Well, and what do you think? And was you sent me an article or somebody did. And thank you guys, by the way, all of you. I, I appreciate when you send me that because it's sort of hard to keep your eye on everything. So the more eyes, yeah. the more we can have everybody keeping up track of things. Yeah. But I was talking about that there have been more. And now we're. We're talking here not so the border patrols splits people up into people who come from sort of certain like Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, right? Sort of special, mm-hmm. they call them special folk countries. Yeah, terrorist states. And then there are people who are actually on the FBI's terrorist a terrorist watch list, right? The FBI, the Border Patrol has apprehended, I think, 151 people in the past year, which is more than they ever have before, people who are actually on the terrorist watch list. Now, it's not clear what they actually did with them after they did it, but and that's just 151 that they caught, right? There was some estimate that some 61,000, mostly single men, are coming in from these uh, terrorist countries, right? 
Um, and and they have no idea. They have no idea. And I don't know if you guys have seen this, but today the head of Hamas, who, by the way, is nowhere near the fighting. He's in a luxury palace or something in Qatar, right? So it's like, yay for him. Is it Qatar or is it Qatar? I can never know which it is. But no, he's there, right? We could ask him because he knows because he's nowhere near the fighting. And again, oh, no, Iran isn't involved in this. (laughs) It's like, this is all just those, you know, Hamas guys in, in Gaza. But at any rate, he is calling for... Or a, a worldwide day of jihad Friday, on Friday. Friday, Friday Which is the their 13th. religious day. It's their Sunday. Right. And and he's saying, you know, basically he's saying, go kill everybody. I mean, he's it, and so you have to wonder what the heck is going on with the Biden administration and the Border Patrol letting these people in. And, you know, you want to be it's easy to say, oh, it would never happen here. But it's like, yeah, of course it would. It has happened here. You, Every, you can count on the FBI yeah. catching the mentally retarded people who they turn into terrorists with their aid, but they're not going to catch the ones that really are terrorists. No. And, 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 you know, and so for Biden to pretend that we don't need to be, need to be alarmed about this and for Hernandez to say, Oh, I support that kind of violence. It's like, well, let's see what happens. You know, when they come into your district in Denver, right. Um, You'd be okay with it. No, as long as you're killing Jewish people. Well, wouldn't mind. Well, but I, I don't think they didn't, they weren't particularly discriminating. I mean, jihad under the Friday, the 13th worldwide jihad. I mean, it, it wasn't very narrowly defined, right? It no, was, they're, no, they're, they're in particularly picking out Jewish people. Right, um, right. But again, how does one necessarily tell if you're walking into a house well, and you're shooting everyone well, in that's the house? Why, that's why they went to kibitzes. There's not going to be anybody but Jewish people in kibitzes. So they, they all went to kibitzes so they know they were Jewish. But and, my point is, is in this country, if I, I, I'm just calling me crazy, but if I'm a jihadist um, and I want to go to Allah, right, in, in heaven, um, and there are no not many kibitzes in Westminster, well, right? So I might just go, well, I bet these people are Jewish, so I'll just shoot them. It's like, well, I don't know. Here get, in the United you States, don't get where, where were they, no, outside of. In in Israel, they, they particularly hate the Jewish people. But in America, we're the great Satan, too. So you can slaughter everybody in the World Trade Centers. And that's perfectly good. Right. Ex- exactly. What do we have from um, from Charlene? It was stupid that he did not ask about the Palestinian babies being killed by Israeli bombings in Gaza. Babies die on both sides. And are we sure it's not a false flag on Israel's part? <laughs> oh, Charlene, I'm not an Israel first Christian, but Christ first Christian. I, I think that whatever, I mean, it's it's. Ter- Terrible what's going on there. And it's it's the people of I mean, I think it's clear the head of Hamas is not there. None of them are, right? Them so is. so they could care less what happens to their people too. Yeah, well, one of them one of the two heads. One well, there's one guy there. So and it appears that Israel is on the verge. It's they're trying to set up humanitarian things to get people out. Um, so Israel's gonna go in. I don't know. I, I think you know, you hear things, you know, and, and then you do you have attacks coming in. From the north, from Hezbollah. I mean, I don't know. This, I think, I think we can all agree. Well, hopefully, we can agree. Um, what it has certainly the potential to go really bad. You know, worse than it already is. So, yeah, I think, I think um, it really does. And and I, I think the fact that Joe Biden is running things, and the FBI and the Border Patrol are letting all of these people into our country. Yeah, and they're more worried about catching three years later, January six defendants who didn't even go into the Capitol. We're um, even in at the Capitol. We're even, we're in even in Washington D.C. Exactly. That they're more focused on that is is alarming. And we don't even get into the whole fact that they had an Iranian spy ring in their administration. Oh, so, we don't talk about that. No, we don't want to talk. 
about that. We don't want to talk about that. Um, um, so we can we do want to talk about the Mark Poff. Well, hey, there you go, another terrorist, well-known terrorist. <laughs> I don't know. He's one of my favorite people. I saw you there. If you want to unmute yourself and turn your camera on. Um, there he is. We are we are taking um, Friday off, and Mark is going to fill in for us. And so I said, "Well, come on 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 Wednesday and tell us what what kinds of stuff you guys. It's going to be you and John, or just you, or what are you going to be talking about?" Well, well, John will definitely be here with me um, for the second half. Actually, I'm going to have him for for most of the the time because I've been trying to to poke him over the whole John Bonet case, ah. and, and you know the case that will uh, appears to never go away. Nobody knows more. There's no single individual that knows more about the John Bonet case than John St. Augustine. He was hired by the Ramses um, to, to investigate this, to reinvestigate it. He worked with Lou Smith, who, who he knew very well, who Boulder PD brought in to investigate. And how ironically, when Lou went back to him and said, hey, guys, just to let you know, it looks like there was an intruder. Boom. Lou Smith disappeared. Um they didn't want any part of following the facts. And this is something that I talk about all the time is once the cops lock on to who they think their right. bad guy is, they don't start looking at the evidence. They just kind of follow, show me evidence that shows them, you know, and not anything else. And again, well, you know, one it, of the it, reasons for that, which people don't understand is all of a sudden, you know, you're going down this line, you get all this good. And then all of a sudden you get something contrary. Now, contrary doesn't mean you know there's another who the other person is. It means your original pick is wrong, and now you have to pick it, go all the way back on a cold trail. So you think, oh, that's awful. So therefore, this contrary information really isn't. It, it's, it's it's not really it, there's the red hair. Yeah, yeah, it's such a huge. Um, because it's what? very hard to go, oh, I don't know. I guess we have no idea what we're doing. I mean, <laughs> all this stuff. That which you... is exactly right with, with Boulder PD. You know, it's interesting here recently. I've been on a little um, testifying frenzy here lately. I even testified in federal court a few weeks ago. I had a prosecutor down in Colorado Springs on a case when I was testifying just a couple of weeks ago. She actually asked me during cross-examination, you know, if, you know, you've been telling the jury all this exculpatory evidence. If you knew all this exculpatory evidence months ago, why didn't you just call me and tell me? And maybe we could have just resolved this, you know, months ago. And I'm like, yeah, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, as soon as I tell a prosecutor the weakness of their case, guess what they do? They try to cinch up their case. And, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. John and I are taking so much heat right now from prosecutors in the state of Colorado, especially down here in Colorado Springs. Because they're not used to being challenged. They're they're used to putting detectives on the stand with limited training and, and especially into technology, processing crime scenes, and they're just doing terrible jobs. And then we're questioning it, and the prosecutors are going berserk over this. <laughs> they're trying to get um they're called Shrek hearings here in Colorado. They they actually tried to get John where he couldn't testify as an expert. And this is the same district attorney's office that eight, 10 years ago used John as an expert, but <laughs> now they're challenging in front of the courts that, okay, <laughs> he's got 10 years more experience. He's just too stupid now. 
No, right. And, he just is. He's, he's he hasn't. Well, you know, on the Ramsey thing, what's interesting is it. So that's great. You guys are going to talk about it. I saw the Denver Post actually. I think well, then was, everybody wants like, to know. Everybody, what, who does John St. Augustine think did it? Well, there was a guy. I think I told you that they said committed suicide, and I think yes. I've explained this to you before, where he shot himself through a pillow through the gut. I mean, yeah. nobody kills themselves that way. He had high tech boots that were never tested against the high tech boot prints that were found in the basement. He had a stun gun that exactly matched the one used against John Bonet and Boulder ruled it as a suicide and didn't follow up on any of it. No, no. Well, there you go. Well, and now we'll see, because what I was going to say is it, it does appear. Um, and coincidentally, so the, the Tom Trujillo, who had been one of the lead detectives has been reassigned for some <laughs> yeah. bad doings. Nothing. Well, I guess he had lack invest- of effort. Right, exactly. And nothing directly to do with the Ramsey thing. But at any rate, there's um, the Boulder police, from what I understand, have now agreed to do something the Ramseys have been asking for for years. And that is to have sort of a, a cold case task force, another task force look at it. And I, I hopefully, I mean, I covered that story for years and I thought I knew just about everything there was to know about it. And I, I have my own ideas about, you know, I kind of disagree with John, but I was stunned when you started pointing out all of the evidence that they never tested for DNA. It's like, never. what? Like the garage? I mean, key pieces of evidence that you'd be like, that's a no-brainer. Um, and yeah, uh, Every week, every week, almost every week, we see something in the news where a case, a cold case has been solved due to new types of DNA testing that just right. recently was discovered or whatever. And Boulder won't even test these items. You, you can put all the task forces you want on there. I, I mean, why not freaking test the DNA? I mean, test right. all these items you've had in evidence for years, just losing, um, well, I don't know the right term, but they, they have no intentions of solving this case. And they've been talking about giving this to this cold case team. And I, I'm not sure that they have yet. To let them go. No, I don't think they have. They just indicated that they might someday soon. You know, which (laughs) is in its own way. Yeah. In its own way, that's a big step forward. Yeah. yeah, Well, I mean, I just go ahead. Well, you know, they keep talking because they have to. And I just read their latest press release from Boulder PD, which was last year. They always give a press release when it gets close to the John Bonet, you know, anniversary. And, And if you read this thing, they, they don't even tell you like, okay, here's the extra work we've done. Here's how many hours. That's my first question is you, you got time cards. Cops keep time cards. How many hours have your investigators spent on the John Bonet homicide in the last year? Give, give me that number. How many hours? And they're, they're not providing that. They're not talking about any of this stuff. It's all lip service because they have no intentions of solving it because they were so focused on the parents. God forbid that they do this DNA and they find out, you know what? It matched this guy who committed suicide. We don't know how that works, you know, <laughs> but it's just, and, and John and I have worked on a lot of cases. We're not going to talk just about the John Bonet, um, except, you know, if we flip and start talking about John Bonet, there's no telling how long that'll take. Yeah. But John just recently was on a case and, and I've, I've had some of these cases. And I think I told you last time that I've had multiple cases where they just drop or give a phenomenal deal right before trial. And, and just recently, a few weeks ago, I had a DA up in, De- in Denver try to get a hold of me. I think I told you that. And he just dropped the charges. He's like, yeah, we're not going to do this. They're not used to being challenged in yeah. court. 
And I've yeah. seen prosecutors like this last one. She almost started yelling at me. And, and she <laughs> asked me a question. I mean, Chuck, I've never had a, an attorney ask me this. She goes, so you, she points at the defendant and she goes, so you think he's innocent? Like, and, uh-huh. and I'm going, what the fudge? You know, and of course the, the defense attorney jumps up and says, I object. And why would he like, object? Why why did he object? <laughs> you should have answered the question. Absolutely. I believe he's totally innocent and you've ramrodded him. Why well, would that idiot object? I made the statement to her where she goes, Well, she got mad because I, I made a big deal that they did not subpoena records from Dropbox in this case. I said, You needed to subpoena, you did not do a thorough digital investigation. She goes, well, you've known about this for the last year. How come you haven't subpoenaed them? I said, because I don't have the burden of proof. <laughs> needs to make the case, not me. <laughs> you know, this sounds like a brilliant uh, prosecutor. Well, you know, you guys, it's so good. You have. I remember years ago, is that there was a case, and and I don't even know if this is even considered science anymore. But it was hair analysis, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the the Denver police or the pro, Denver DA's office used this great guy. He was Indian. Oh. He sounded I can't remember his name, but he sounded so. I mean, Convincing. he just believed what he said just because of his accent, right? Okay. And and Vero. Merle, Merle Vuma, Merle, anyway, something like that. And, um, right. but he was just great. He was just great on the stand and he had charts and stuff like that. And then there was this one time where the defense attorneys had this other guy and he was just like, no, he might've known his stuff, but he didn't look like it. He did not have a cool accent. And so they said, but where, and he like worked out of his closet in his basement. Didn't call. And, so. and, and yeah, he was pretty cheap, <laughs> but I mean, it, it was, I mean, he, he was horrible and he might've been right, but you just put him up against this other guy. And so that's great if they've got you guys in there now, you know, who actually know what you're talking about. And, and even if you work in your basement, you don't look like you do. And so I think we're both in our basements right now, aren't we? Right. Yeah. We both work out of our basements. What's wrong with that? Yeah. But, but, but the key is you, you have to be able to explain it to a jury. And, and I've seen some people who have testified that have a hard time making eye contact with the jury. I look right at the jury. I mean, I turn my whole body after they ask me the question, I'll turn to the jury and I'll look at each and every one, just like they teach you in speech class. Right. And, and I'll look at every one of them. And then when, you know, they object and they have to approach the bench and everything. Mm-hmm. So, and the jury's got nothing to do at this point. I look at the jury and just make eye contact. Hey, how's it going? You, yeah. you know, you know the, person, the person yeah. who went to that school, who overdid it, was Amber Heard. She would go, there they woman man, like that. And she, and she got roasted for that. So, so there, there's an art into turning to the jury. Well, but, well, and you guys have testified forever. Hey, listen, we got it. We got to let you go. So, Mark, we're going to have to listen, you yeah. know, well, as always. while we're doing it as always. Right. So thank you for filling in. Um, And I guess we will, they have the audience will see you on party Friday and we will talk to you yep. again soon. All right. Good outstanding. All right. Bye bye. Mark Poff on Party Friday. Thank you to Bruce Thornton. Thank you to to all the comments. We really appreciate them. We don't always get a chance to read them all off, but they're great. Sometimes these guys have their own show. I know. Right. The the chat room show. Two straight up chat room shows. And remember, you can get all of the shows at ChuckandJulie.com. Thanks to the great guys at BBS. Um, The Chuck and Julie show with Mark. The real Chuck and Julie show. uh, Yeah, the real will be back on Monday. The Chuck and Julie. Don't miss miss Mark Poff. Oh, he's on tremendous. party fight. See you guys later. Bye-bye.